0: Bobby, this morning we going to be preaching from Isaiah chapter 9 and John chapter 1. So if you uh, have a Bible, I want to take those out at this time. Isaiah chapter 9 and John chapter 1. Bobby, thank you for bringing us the word of the Lord. And again, thank you guys so much uh, for your partnership with us uh, in Oklahoma City as literally God worked a miracle for us to be able to uh, get into the last church building in downtown Oklahoma City and I've become friends with Craig over the past few months as he's passed on advice for what we have to face in the future and has told me your story and we are so grateful for your friendship and partnership with us um, and so thank you from City Presbyterian Oklahoma City If you would like Craig said if you would please I'm reading from Isaiah 9. Uh, verses 2 through 7, Isaiah 9, verses 2 through 7, and then John 1, verses 4 through 5. Hear the word of God. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. And writing several centuries later, the Apostle John, that one, the disciple whom Jesus loved in reflecting back, writes to us, in John 1, 4-5, speaking of Christ, in Him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Please join me in prayer. Lord God, we come to you tonight, each of us in need of your grace, each of us in need of you. And we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts will be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O oh God. Through our Redeemer Christ, we pray. Amen. There's a funny thing about this time of year, Christmas, and then as we are moving on to the end of the year and and pushing toward the new year, is that we are trying to make everything so perfect. The last five weeks have been this pursuit for us to do everything the right way. We have so many expectations placed upon us or that we place upon ourselves. And yet at the same time, there are so many reminders of how simply things are not right or not perfect. Maybe you didn't get your end of year or holiday card sent on time. Maybe that perfect gift that you ordered for someone didn't show up. That happened to me. Maybe you didn't get the perfect gift. Maybe... Sometimes we buy much into consumerism and trying to get everything now and we get stressed out. Maybe we have family plans and we gather with family and we realize, oh my goodness, so much conflict. Or at the end of the year, we remember losses that we have had, family or friends. And sometimes all of these things come together to make this beautiful time of the year A complete and painful mess. Two years ago, in his Christmas address, Rowan Williams, who was the Archbishop of Canterbury, who had the coolest beard around, said this as he addressed the Church of England. He said, Every year, mysteriously, all of our plans that we make seem to evaporate, and it's the usual mess. With the last-minute panic, there will be a few good people concerned about what can we afford And he said, we have this odd thing about us as we try to pursue the perfect Christmas story for ourselves. And he said, but the story of Christ's coming that first Christmas is a story of this series of completely unplanned, of messy events. There's a surprise pregnancy. There's an unexpected journey that had to be made. A complete muddle over the hotel accommodations when you get there. He said, it's not exactly the perfect holiday, but it tells us something the coming of Christ, that we try to plan so many things to stay in charge. And too often, with our advertisers singing in our ears, we think that unless we can cook the perfect dinner, plan the perfect wedding, organize the perfect gathering, we somehow don't count or we can't hold our heads up. You see, me speaking now, not quoting. Um, This time of year is not about our perfection. It's really about our poverty. But in our pursuit of our own excellence and trying to impress people, we are reminded continually of all that is wrong. As we're contemplating the new year, maybe we are reminded of the darkness that we have experienced in 2013 and how we long for goodness and we hope that things will get better. And this morning, we're going to look at darkness about messiness, about brokenness, and see that in the darkness, God tells us there can be joy, that there is joy to be found. And maybe you're in a place right now where you're wondering, where is God in all of this stuff in my life? Maybe right now you're overwhelmed. Maybe you're wondering, where is God in the mess? Where is God in the darkness? Maybe you don't think that, And you haven't been honest. But at any rate, we we all struggle. We have a common experience of hopelessness at times in our lives. And so this morning we'll see how the prophet Isaiah calls us to hope, calls us to joy in the darkness that we face. And we'll consider three things. That God is in the darkness. That God entered the darkness. And that God will one day enter the darkness again. That God is in the darkness God entered the darkness, and God will enter into the darkness again. And so Isaiah speaks in a time of ruin. And he tells the people that God is there. And Isaiah gives a promise of hope to a people whose lives stand in ruin. You see, the prophet Isaiah is writing in a time of great danger. If you lived in Isaiah's time, every single day of your life, a cloud of danger hovered over you. There were threats of war. The armies of Assyria had attacked and ruined much of your homeland, much of your country. There's always a threat of war, and eventually war came upon them after Isaiah's time. And so every single day, this cloud of fear hangs over you. Maybe you wake up and say, "Is this the day that the Assyrians will come and plunder us and enslave more of our people?" There was economic ruin and depression. A succession of pretty terrible kings had caused the glory days of David and Solomon to be but a memory in the past. And yet, in this darkness, the prophet tells the people of God, he tells Israel that God is there. He gives a promise of a great king who would come and deliver his people from the darkness. And Isaiah 9 gives us a glimpse of what many of us have celebrated over this past week in Christmas. It gives us this connection with the incarnation. It gives us hope in the darkness because God is there. Isaiah says you who are walking in darkness must know that God remembers the promises that he has made to you. That in your darkness, God will bring deliverance. In the darkness, He knows where you are. He knows your story. He will act. He will bring justice. He will bring righteousness. And when Isaiah is speaking of darkness here, he's not just talking about something spiritual. He's talking about something real. He is talking about danger. He is talking about actual destruction. And I think it's safe to say that at this time of the year, we are reminded of darkness that we have gone through. For many of you, this season has probably been difficult because it's the first one without a parent or a grandparent, a dear loved one or a friend. Maybe spending holidays with your family, brought up bad memories, or there was conflict. Maybe this was another year of gathering and hearing the age-old questions. So why aren't you married yet? When will you have kids? Come on. Yesterday I was watching a story on CNN. Um, It was the top crimes and trials of 2013. What a way to remember the year, right? And the list is astounding. I'm not going to give it all away because you can Google it. But the anchor talked about the shooting at the Navy Yard that happened this year. They talked about the conflict over the George Zimmerman-Trayvon Martin trial. They talked about some grisly murders that happened. And then they ended the story talking about the bombing at the Boston Marathon. Side note, my aunt had just crossed the finish line like a minute before the bombs went off. And they talked about how this year was full of conflicts and pain and suffering, even in our own country. See, darkness is real. In the world around us, tens of thousands of Christians in the Middle East and in Africa have died this year for their faith. Some of the worst persecution in places like Syria and Egypt. In our own nation, we are reminded of darkness when we see war memorials. When we talk to our friends whose marriages end. When we drive by a cemetery or a hospital. When we see our own scars and feel our own pain. And maybe for some of you today, God feels distant in that. Like he's not even there. But Isaiah tells us that there is hope in dark times. That there is even joy to be found because God is there. As crazy as that seems. It seems absurd for Isaiah to say, Have joy, you who are in ruin. But he says to have joy because one day the darkness in which you live will be overwhelmed by the light of God. Isaiah says that you can have confidence, that you can have joy in the darkness that you face. Because God is there. And not only is God there, but there's a promise. As they were looking forward and as we look back, that God would enter the darkness. And tonight we can have ho- Or this morning, I'm used to preaching at night, sorry. 5 p.m. church. This morning we can have hope. And tonight, too, because God entered the darkness in Christ. God entered the darkness. One of the most amazing things about Christianity, if you think about it, is how we would not orchestrate the way Christ came. Craig told me you all had a Christmas Eve service, and so that probably means you read from the Gospel stories in Luke or Matthew And if you think about the way Christ came, it is precisely the wrong way to start a lasting worldwide movement. In our country, when people decide to run for high political office, I have a Bible study at the Capitol, so sometimes I run into these types of people. If you want to be governor or president, you form an exploratory committee, right? You raise lots of money. Your handlers do background checks on you to make sure that everything has been scrubbed. There can be no scandal. You have to make connections. You have to be vetted. You have to be groomed by handlers. You have to learn how to pronounce the names of cities and world leaders. You have to have the best slogan. You have to have the catchphrase, the smile, everything. If you want to create a lasting movement. Do you think that being born to an unwed teenage mother in a stall to a family with limited resources and no influence is how we would write that story? Would we write stories of the Holy Spirit and virgins and stars and wise men and shepherds? Would that be the way that we would script how the king comes who would... Crush the darkness. We would not script it this way. Mary is an unwed, pregnant teenager. Joseph, her fiance, is a working class man in his late teens or early 20s. The shepherds are the outcasts, the people that no one wants to be around. They're the lowest people of their day. They have the worst job. No one grew up saying, Dad, I want to be a shepherd. They would say, you don't want to be a shepherd. The only thing we might script is the angels. But the way God entered into this world is the opposite of how we perceive power. It's the opposite of how we write the stories of gods and kings and queens and great men and great women. Because God writes a story of grace and promise and hope. God came to this world because we don't have the resources to deal with our own problems. God comes with peace and goodwill. And that's actually confrontational because it says that what you do to fix your own life doesn't work. Your own attempts at peace will fail. Your own attempts at good government will break down at some time, at some point. Your own world is broken. As a fellow Bible Belt person, Oklahoma is Bible Belt, South Carolina is Bible Belt, we face issues constantly that remind us that darkness is present. Whether it's homelessness, children without parents, the list goes on and on and on. And what gives us hope is that God entered into this darkness to bring salvation to us and to bring renewal. And restoration. how does Isaiah describe this God who enters the darkness? What does he say about Jesus? He gives he, he, he gives us titles. He says, wonderful counselor. Isaiah tells us that true wisdom comes only for Christ. When you read the Proverbs, the Proverbs say that the, the true wisdom comes from someone who seeks God because wisdom is in God Himself. The coming of Christ means that true wisdom entered into this world. He calls him the mighty God, that he is our hero, he is our champion. God entered into the darkness as the one who faced the most overwhelming odds to bring victory. When we celebrate Christmas or the incarnation, it's not just about a baby lying in a manger, but the life of Christ who lived perfectly with love for God, with love for His fellow neighbor, who willingly suffered and died and rose again to bring life. It's about God entering in to conquer sin and death and evil. The mighty God is that One who defeated death and sin for His people. Isaiah says, Everlasting Father... God entered into this place. Christ entered into this world so that you and I can have an intimate relationship with God. God came to us. Christianity says that God is personal. That He wants to be with His people. That He is the one, that good shepherd, who gives His life for His sheep. That He is that one who seeks and saves those who are lost. God entered this world so that you and I can find intimacy with the Creator of the universe because of Christ. Salvation is more than getting saved or just a change of status. It's a deep relationship with the Creator of the universe who knows us intimately and loves us anyway so that we can be whole Isaiah calls Jesus the Prince of Peace, He's speaking of this idea of shalom, which is more than just absence of conflict. It's wholeness. It's everything working the way they're suppo- it's supposed to. For us, as good Americans, or people who live in the U.S., when we think of times of economic peace, that just means there's no recession and the stock market's working But in Shalom, the economy is working for everyone. For us, national peace is no war. But Isaiah is saying the Prince of Peace will one day create a new heavens and new earth and there will be no need for an army. For us, domestic peace is getting the crime rate just low enough. But Isaiah is promising something bigger because he's saying the Prince of Peace is going to usher in a world where there will be no police. Jesus came to eliminate the darkness. The Prince of Peace entered into the darkness to bring life, to bring flourishing, to bring wholeness. C.S. Lewis once said that God landed on enemy-occupied territory in human form, this perfect surrender And this perfect humiliation undergone by Christ, perfect because he was God, surrender and humiliation because he was man. And when we look to the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, it changes the way that we see the darkness. Because we see that there is hope in the darkness around us and in the darkness we face in our own lives. And we see that there is hope. Because one day God will come and restore all that is wrong and bring back all that is right. And Isaiah, we look back at Isaiah and Isaiah says, have hope. Because the Prince of Peace is coming. The mighty God is coming. And we look back and have hope because He came. But yet we still look forward to the day that God will enter the darkness again. You see, Isaiah speaks of this great light and says that a kingdom without end will be established on this earth through this One who is the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This hope is not distant, but it's a connection that we have with the story of the Scriptures and that we have with God Himself. When the angels proclaimed... Glory to God and on earth peace on those whom his favor rests they are announcing the they announce the fulfillment of what Isaiah wrote about so many centuries before Jesus life his death and his resurrection show us these very titles that Isaiah speaks of but when we stop and think about our own lives we say, it still seems that there's darkness. I'm still overwhelmed. These things sound great, but it's overwhelming. And when we sing Christmas songs or we make our New Year's resolutions, we have these reminders that we want things to be made right. Yet at the moment of the Incarnation, God announces the beginning of His rule. He announces the reality that broken people can find rest and peace through Him. He announces the reality of His righteousness. He announces the reality of His goodness, of His holiness, that can be ours because of Christ and Christ alone. And there's that tension that we have where we still experience evil and sin. A few points of application. The first point is this, and this is the good news, is that God entered history. That Jesus came. Jesus came. The God-man came, and He identifies with us. The fact that God entered into this earth Tells us that he experienced the full reign of life that you and I do. That he had emotions, that he had pain, that he suffered, that he was rejected, that he experienced betrayal, hunger, late nights, happy times, long days, the things that you and I go through on a daily basis. But unlike us, Jesus did it perfectly without sin so that you and I can have hope because you and I can have life because we take hold of His righteousness by faith. One medieval theologian, Anselm, writing answering this question, why did God come as a man? He said this, he says, for God to truly bring salvation into this world and to pay the debt that humanity owes because of our sin... Only God could enter this world as Himself because only He could satisfy the requirement of perfect obedience. And so you and I can look at the incarnation of Christ and have hope because God has been in the darkness. Second application. The Scripture says that light entered, John writes, that light entered into the darkness and the darkness did not overcome it. If you are a Christian... Jesus says something very difficult for us in application. He preaches a sermon. He tells his followers, You are the light of the world. That means we have to enter into the darkness in the world around us. In a place like Charleston in South Carolina, where there are great things going on. The urban renewal and development is awesome that we're seeing. The same thing is happening in Oklahoma City. But at the same time, there are people who still... We can mask the, the beauty and say, everything is great, but at the same time, there are still people hurting. There are still people who need the church, who need Christians to enter into the darkness of their own lives. Churches need to be a place where people enter into each other's darkness to continually share the love of Christ and the truth and the power and the hope that is in the Gospel. And so the question for all of us is, what does it look like to do that? What would it look like if Christians took Jesus' example of entering into the darkness and brought the implication of Christmas into others' lives? What about our own friends and our own family, our co-workers, or those in our spheres of influence who just need us to ask a question beyond, how's your day going? Some of that, the reason I think sometimes we don't is because it's really messy, it's scary. You're in a place of vulnerability and fear But God says, I am with you because I have entered into the darkness. Christ has entered into the darkness and the story of our own lives. Quick story. About 10 or 12 years ago, I got into spelunking. Do you guys know what that is? Yeah. Get dirty in little caves. It's weird cave exploring. And so my friends and I, we would drive from Oklahoma City to Arkansas, a place called Devil's Den. And one time we were, we wouldn't go into the main cave because, oh, that's where everyone else goes and they already have lights in there. We want to we wanna go in the real caves. And so one time we crawled into this tight cave that opened up into this giant cavern and there was a pole that someone had stuck there. And stupidly, because we were all in our early 20s, hey, it's a great idea to go down the pole and climb down into this cave. It was a pretty big cavern. It was this huge, overwhelming space. And I got the crazy idea of taking a picture in the dark to see what would that look like. So we all turned off our headlamps. We were completely surrounded by darkness. It was so thick. Our minds were making us think that you could feel it. It was creepy. And I took out this little camera. The flash was on. Took a picture. A brief flash of light. That was it. We turned on our lamps, said this was fun, and left. A few weeks later, when I had the photo developed, a perfect view of this cave You could clearly see the walls. You could make everything out. That brief flash of light could not be overwhelmed by the darkness of that cave. In a greater redemptive way, the gospel tells us that the light of Christ can never be overcome by the darkness of sin, by the darkness of this world, by the darkness of our own hearts. Isaiah pointed ancient Israel to this Redeemer who would come. And we look back on that promise and say, God entered. God entered and defeated the darkness. And He will one day come again to crush it, to bring peace to this place for us. For us. As we close, I'm going to close with this quote. It says this, in the, in the incarnation, God the Son takes the body and soul of Jesus, and through that, the whole environment of nature, all the creaturely predicament came into His own being. So that He who came down from heaven entered in limitation, sleep, sweat, weariness, frustration, pain, and death and all of these things are known from God within but in his light death and darkness could not swallow it up the beauty of the incarnation is that we can have hope in our lives because of Christ who lived died and rose again so that you and I could have life we can have joy in the darkness Because the light of Christ still shines through the darkness. Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank You so much for sending Your Son Jesus to be our righteousness, to welcome sinners into Your family. We pray that This would not just be information, but would be transformation that your Holy Spirit would cause us to love you more. To love our neighbor as ourself through Christ, who is our Savior. We pray this in his name. Amen.